G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money. We are your online and social media home for workouts, uh, special situations, and capital raising professionals. My name's Nick Samios. I am the director and fund manager here at Hermes Capital, and uh, every week I am your Lunch Money host. Uh, we've been doing Lunch Money. We started it when uh, the lockdowns began. Uh, and even though we've got a little bit of freedom here in New South Wales, I still can't cross borders. So as long as I can't cross borders, we're going to do it remotely like this uh, with, with lunch money. Um, we live in times of uncertainty, uh, and we all want to know what's around the corner, what's going to happen next, and when it's going to happen. Uh, I mean, Halloween's coming up, and I was thinking that um, wanting to know what's in the future is a little bit like when you were a kid and wanting to know what's inside a, a mysterious and old abandoned building. Um, you know, you're a little kid, you'd walk past that old mysterious abandoned building, you'd want to know, first you'd have to find the courage to look inside, uh, you know, because is, it, is, is that old building full of terrors or is it full of hidden treasure? Um, but then having sort of plucked up the courage to look inside, you then need to find the right window um, that lets you see through the darkness and to make sure you can get a good enough view in there to see what's really going on. Well, our guests today have a window through which uh, we can peer into the future. Uh, Gail Dickerson and Ryan Eagle are both partners at KPMG. KPMG regularly publishes uh, some research called Distance to Default. And Gail and Ryan have been very generous and kind enough to step us through uh, KPMG's Distance to Default uh, report and I'm going to introduce start off by introducing Gail. G'day Gail, how are you? Great, thanks. I'm, I'm good Nick, thanks for inviting us along today. We should really actually probably be out for lunch. Oh we absolutely should. We've, uh, uh, but uh, no thanks, very delighted to be here. Tell me what, what what's what have, has anything changed for you this week? I mean have you been out or what's the story? I uh, have started to get out. I've got plans for the weekend. It's uh, it's actually my son's birthday, so I'm actually excited. I can actually throw a, a small party for him. So, um, but no, I think people are kind of gearing up um, and thinking about getting out and about. And you know, particularly in New South Wales, expectation is with the new premier, um, you know, masks will be off it, you know, sooner than later in the office, which I think will start to get people back into the CBD. Right, yeah, because I guess uh, particularly with the larger firms, it's always been a bit of a challenge. All those restaurants and cafes in the bottom of your building, um, they certainly want to get some of that sweet, sweet KPMG coin. Listen, we'll bring Ryan in as, in as well. G'day, Ryan. What about yourself? I'm very well, Nick. Thanks for having us on. Um, no, I, I haven't been in the CBD yet this week, but uh, need to get there in the next week or two. It's it's been it's actually been a year, Ryan, um, since since I had you on the show. Can you believe that? I mean, it was. Uh, I just it's just this this whole thing, this whole COVID thing's just a, just a black hole. I should say that yeah. both Gail and Ryan are partners at KPMG in the restructuring, turnaround, and insolvency area. Uh, I mean, Gail, you you've got some specialties in. Um, uh, I think you said in retail and consumer products, but obviously you've been across all sorts of stuff. I know that recently you were on that uh, McWilliams wine matter, and that would have been uh, that certainly wouldn't have would have been an adventure. And I know Ryan, apart from the the corporate restructuring, what have you, you also do a little bit on deal advisory as yeah. well. Um, yeah. what, I guess I'll start with you, Gar. What what just tell us a little bit about what um, what sort of you know, right in your ballywick. Yeah, so, um, I mean, 
predominantly kind of mid-market um, restructuring. That's what I've uh, been focusing on. And um, I say a lot of activity at the moment is more um, supporting some of our front-end transactions, um, you know, the pipeline in terms of M&A um, deal activity. And I've recently working on um, uh, administration of a large disability services provider um, and again you know being very strong interest in in that organization so um, you know I think that's a sign of the the times and some of that will be reflected in some of the analysis that we we'll share with you today well that's very interesting because I've got actually a headline here that just throw up that headline number four let's see what Gail's got to say about this <laughs> a little bit yeah where I can't remember where that comes from but hundreds of staff and participants of disability services Australia face an uncertain future it's an interesting space there isn't it because there's been the ndis and what have you yeah. um, um and what, what i guess there's a lot of sort of government external factors impacting that sort of a job but that's right and you know i think um there will be potentially consolidation in the space you know as as parties kind of ramp up there's you know it's a lot of strong not-for-profits but also um a range of for-profits and um you know while the NDIS um, scheme, you know, has come into play and, and has been successful. Clearly, you know, there's some areas where um, further work's required. Um, I mean, um, DSA in particular had some special kind of dynamics, um, and particularly in relation to some industrial relations, which um, led them to to this position. But it's a space where um, there has there's a lot of interest and a lot of interest across the board and. Um, from some of the larger um, health players, you know, looking to expand in terms of, you know, what they do, as well as, um, you know, the larger not-for-profits looking to grow in, in terms of um, the scale and geography. So, it's um, okay. yeah, it's very interesting. Okay. And Ryan, uh, I know that obviously you do a lot of restructuring, uh, formal, and yes. uh, formal and informal insolvency, but I guess uh, whenever sort of yeah. your name's crossed my desk, it, 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 it's often on the deal advisory or, or sort of transactions. So yeah. what, what yeah. It, there'd be a lot of that this year, I would have thought. Yeah, focus on what we call the alternate capital space, so lenders such as um, Hermes uh, and a range of others. Um, really, since we spoke last, since we spoke a year ago, Nick, um, it's been really a, a reorganising of lending on, on many situations. Um, a number of those have been real estate um, and you know, not not really insolvency situations, but um, uh, a changing of financing structure, whether it's to do with construction um, or a or, or new projects um, uh, and then a little bit of work in, in logistics and, and plant and equipment on um, on that deal advisory um, and, and, and lending structure. Okay. I mean, look, you know, I know that uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit. I mean, the market is awash with capital. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I also have a theory. I mean, people in the insolvency space are all saying, well, it's all quiet until the ATA does something and until the banks do something. But I suspect that a lot of, I suspect that the banks have probably migrated a lot of what could potentially become problem loans down the track to funds and second tier funders and all that sort of stuff. So I'd say you're in exactly the right place. Listen, we're going to dive into this, um, you, you uh, distance is false stuff. I just firstly want to say, uh, and I'm just a little word for you, the people watching live, um, if you throw in a Good question for, uh, for for Ryan or Gail. We're going to give away some books. 
I think if we got the books graphic, there you go. So we had Mike House uh, as a guest a little while ago, and uh, he's written two fantastic books uh, on personal leadership, thriving and adapting. And uh, we've got a couple of those books, and we're going to get them. They're signed by Mike, and we're going to get them to anybody who happens to ask a good question. So you are live. That's a special thing for the, for the people that watch live. All right, listen, let's go to Gail. And uh, can you tell us what is Distance to Default all about? Okay, great. Thanks, Nick. So distance to default, or I'll just call it D2D, and if you Google KPMG D2D, you can have a look at um, the last five or six years of reports that we've been issuing um, uh, in more detail. Um, but D2D is a uh, different perspective on, on the concept of default. So um, most of us know default as an event or when a company um, declares its inability to pay its debts as and when they fall due. Um, which often leads to insolvency. And, and it's often um, focused in hindsight in terms of those um, issues that cause the default. Um, however, prior to default and ahead of time, it can be difficult to discriminate um, unambiguously between those companies. And D2D is really a, an approach to trying to um, determine who is more likely to default than others. And it's something that we came up with uh, a number of years ago at, at KPMG. And, um, you know, I, I, you opened up and uh, referenced Halloween. I haven't got my crystal ball, but D2D is a good um, approach to trying to discriminate th those companies. And look at, you know, put simply, it scores all of the ASX listed companies um, between zero and five, um, being zero being um, closer to default and five um, indicating strong financial strength. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting. I remember when when I started my finance career back in the back in the eighties. Believe it or not, Gail, um, you probably weren't born then. But um, the um, uh, we had a thing called the Lincoln Indicators, uh, which were a little bit like the Z score, uh, the Altman Z score, but they were Lincoln Indicators. And I remember now. Now, if you remember, the 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 end of the eighties went into the the big recession that we had to have. But at the time, as a financial sales rep, we used to run all the financials through the Lincoln indicators. And we used to say, these Lincoln indicators are rubbish. They say that everybody's gonna, gonna default. Well, sure enough, in about 1990, everybody did. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, so we ready to dive into a bit of your analysis? Yeah, that would be good. And um, D2D is based, and it's kind of a modified analysis from the RBA um, and of um, the Moody's KMV um, formula that we've kind of uh, tweaked and modified um, for this purpose. but. Oh, Sharon, I'm conscious some of your listeners will just be on the podcast. So I'll, um, and I know we've got a, a couple of charts uh, to show as well on the screen for those that are looking on video, but I'll kind of talk to um, some of the headlines. Um, so we track uh, D2D on a rolling basis. So we're constantly tracking their sex and looking at those scores. We produce a bi annual report where we um, look at what are the trends and the best actually lens here to indicate default is we're looking at the movement and particularly movements within industries, subsectors or on a company by company basis. Um, clear, we don't publish uh, the company names. Um, right. KPMG has that data. Um, there's probably some clients on there, so we uh, we certainly wouldn't want to publish that. But um, it, it's around kind of the, the, the movements and looking at, well, you know, are they heading towards default? Or we're seeing kind of a bounce back in strength and i think reflective of kind of the discussion that we've had at the beginning of, of this session um we can see that the d to d score and this is the average across the whole of the asx is kind of bounced back up to 
um, actually a stronger position than it was pre-pandemic. We've seen quite a quick recovery and we're back at kind of the 2017, 2018 levels in terms of the average D to D score, um, which is just under two. So um, so that, does that mean that we, we're less chances of defaults as opposed I, I, to more? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, through through yeah. the pandemic, you know, the, the overall score, um, you know, rapidly deteriorated, but we've seen that bounce back um, very quickly um, over the last six to 12 months, given, you know, the strength in terms of the share market and that bounce back. And, um, you know, I think that that indicates at the moment, um, you know, that there's uh, confidence um, and overall, and we also track zombie companies talking of Halloween, that's probably uh, appropriate, but the, uh, you know, we, we track zombie companies and the number of zombies in that analysis have also declined quite substantially from, wow. um, there's nearly, we, we analyze over 2000 companies, there are about 400 that we defined as zombies, which are those companies that have a score of one or under for three consecutive periods, so three consecutive six month periods. Um, that's now um, about 300 companies and about uh, 10 billion of marking cap, which is still significant. It still might be capital that might be better redeployed wow. elsewhere. So 10 billion market cap in, the, in, in the, that are zombies. Yeah, a lot of those are kind of, I guess, junior explorers and other kind of yeah. um, uh, businesses. But there are other, and you know, we we test back to make sure this analysis stacks up. And you know, the, all the the major um, insolvencies um, that have occurred in terms of listed companies, we you know have tested back, and typically that tipping point is around a score of one point two or below. Um, yeah. And the speed at which um, there's a decline in the score again is a very strong indicator in terms of you know risk of insolvency. Um, all right. Default. All right, well, let's go to your first slide, and it is right there. Okay, talk us yeah. through that yeah, one. So I think, I mean, I, I've spoke, it touched on this, I guess, in terms of the basis of D2D, and um, it combines kind of the static historical information um, that we look at, but also overlays the um, share price and volatility, which gives us, um, you know, a really kind of robust um, indication uh, around kind of movements and likelihood in terms of default and effectively, you know, having a look at the, you know, the, the debt compared to the market value um, of a company. Um, right. I'll just move, move on to the, the next slide, um, which I touched on as well in my kind of opening, but you can see on that slide right. the bounce back in the D2D score has been quite strong, you know, from that low um, last year. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. And then what, okay. So just, just for the listeners at home, you know, so we, we've got, what year is that? I need to put my glasses on. What year is that, that it, uh, we came down? Yeah. So June, 2020, the, the scores obviously reduced. So we've gone from 1.9 December, 2019, when everything was fine, ex uh, except in Wuhan perhaps. And then we've gone to, uh, that score's almost halved in June, 2020. And then it's sort of been steadily rising since December uh and through to september 2021 so even the the lockdowns you know lockdown 2.0 doesn't really seem to have uh, no, terribly no, much but that's right and it, and you know we've also tracked the the lockdowns compared to levels of insolvency in new south wales and victoria and again there, there just hasn't been a spike um you know in in insolvency numbers so um you know the the score of one, which was kind of the, the low, and that's the all-time low that we've seen on D2D. But, you know, the economy has kind of bounced back and the D2D scores bounced back to even stronger than before the, the mm. pandemic. 
Okay. I wonder, um, we'll go, we'll move on to your next slide in just one moment, but I just wonder, well, maybe I'll ask you, Ryan. I mean, you know, we obviously, as financiers, we look at a lot of financial statements, uh, you know, what we do um and it is it's i guess it's remarkable or some may say unremarkable how many how many of those financial statements if you put a line through uh you know the job keeper or, or whatever government support they might be a lot of these companies are in the red uh i mean are you, are you seeing much of that as well you know how much of these these good stats are maybe propped up by that yeah and um uh, we'll come to a bit uh, later, but we, we, the analysis is on the ASX, so we we also can correlate or or make some assumptions about what um, non-listed companies in the same industries may be experiencing, which is 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 going to be um, more difficulties than uh, than than some of the larger um, groups. But what we are seeing is that. Um, uh, when things turn the corner, the economy starts to open up, um, you, you will start to see, as you say, the ATO looking to change the way they um, deal with um, the, the larger level of outstandings. Um, you'll see the banks, um, the, the, the major four banks, you know, starting to be a little bit more normal in their um, recovery processes at some stage. Um, you know, it's anyone's guess when. Um, so yeah, we do see a number of businesses that are, I wouldn't say zombie in a zombie status, but they're in a, a, a highly levered status. Therefore, finding it difficult to make decisions around growth and 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 their, and their future. Yeah, I'll, yeah, okay. All right. Well, we'll come to your next slide. And when you say highly levered status, obviously with a lot of cheap money and, and a lot of easy money around, I wonder how that plays into those ratios as well. If we look. Um, uh, at the financials and at real estate, yeah. there uh, just just to, yeah. just to sort of step through them, we've got banks three point oh three. I guess that's no big surprise. Semiconductors yeah. uh, and equipment one point one one. Retailing one point eight. And real estate three point oh six. Media entertainment one point four two. So Ryan, why do you think financials and real estate are performing better than the other sectors? Yeah. So if you if you unpack um, financials on the on the ASX, which includes the big uh, the big banks, you know, what, what they're seeing is um, high levels of savings from their customers, you know, a buoyant economy, very low level of provisions, um, and a property market that's going, uh, continuing to go up. Um, you know, we, we all expect that there will be a time when those provisions will start to increase um, and the property market will slow down. You're already seeing the government strike, trying to make it tighter through APRA around lending standards. Um, you know, what, what you see in, in the, the financial sector is that there are a number of non-listed and um, alternate lenders um, that, are, that are growing rapidly, um, that may not, um, ha haven't experienced a, a significant downturn that will need to, to work through problem loans. Um, you know, many of them are prepared for that and will do that well, but others will, will find it more difficult um and um uh, it, it it's it'll be interesting to watch those um you're also seeing um uh, others coming to the asx so look at the list um the ipo markets uh, are well and truly open but um you know, as you move down the the risk curve it'll be interesting to see whether all of them are as successful as they um hope to be 
Yeah, well, I mean, IPOs uh, are the sort of up in the same sort of uh, ballpark as as M and A's. They're just going crazy with all the money. And as I said before, talk about the banks. You know, I do believe I, I know I know you know I know lawyers, for example, who uh, specialize in loan documentation. And in, over the last eighteen months, you know, they're just uh, acquiring buckets of of new clients that are lending into property. And they're flat out, you know, doing these these property loans, development and commercial and residential and all sorts of stuff. How much of that stuff's migrating off the bank's balance sheet? Um, so, so just having a look at this, we've also got materials and energy sectors. Um, uh, why do you think that uh, materials and energy sectors are showing lowest, Ryan? Yeah, so the materials sector, that, that includes resources and, and mining companies. Um, traditionally on the ASX, um, a number of those will be junior explorers, which will be, um, you know, they'll be in a position where they're, they're low on funds. Um, they may be looking to raise capital at a point in time, depending on a, um, a stage of their exploration. Um, so it is difficult to, um, to drill down into what's the, really the underlying position on many, on many of those. Um, but you are starting to see uh, high commodity prices uh, in coal, etc., which is helping to improve the position of some of those material companies. Um, in respect to um, energy, um, you know, there, you know, there, there continues to be uh, a transition in the energy, um, the, the way the, the country utilises energy. You know, we've got um, global summits coming up uh, in the coming weeks. Um, so there's, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunity for um, the companies on the ASX in those areas, um, and there will be winners, winners and losers as 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 things progress. Yeah, I mean, look, we could we could have a whole podcast talking about energy. Uh, you know, uh, maybe this time last year the coal price was about sixty bucks, uh, and everybody was talking about shorting the hell out of coal. What is it now? Two hundred and fifty, two hundred and something. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you might say that's temporary. I don't know. Those power stations still there. I've just had a bit of a spat on Twitter, and don't look me up on Twitter because you'll be disappointed. But I'm a, I'm a pro nukes guy. But anyway, look, that's 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 a different story. Twitter um, war, Nick. That sounds really interesting. We could have a Twitter war. That sounds very interesting. Uh, well, yeah, that's yeah. Again, again, it's probably best to don't go there. Listen, um, there was a newspaper uh, headline with Brett Blundy, and if we can just flash that up for a tick. Brett Blundy says Australia retail will be okay. Now, Brett Blundy, uh, but again, back in the 80s or in the early, in the 90s, I used to do equipment finance for um, Brett Blundy. He had bras and things back in those days, and I used to fi finance the fit-outs. He would have never heard of me, of course, because I was just a, just, a, just a kid behind a desk. But uh, he was going gangbusters back then, and, of course, now he's one of the titans of retail. He reckons everything's going to be okay. So, um, Gail, can you talk to me about some of the data you're seeing on the consumer sector? Uh, sector? Yeah, I, I think retail is really interesting because if you, if you look at some of those retailers that were struggling, pre-pandemic, the pandemic has given them a shot in the arm um, in terms of the government stimulus, in terms of landlord support, in terms of consumers being cashed up. Um, and, you know, a number of them have actually been able, I think, to quite successfully pivot to um, e-commerce. And we've seen the numbers grow incredibly in terms of e-commerce numbers up 30 40%. And, you know, it's been quite sticky in terms of keeping people online. Interesting, this lockdown didn't see quite the same increase in terms of um, online, but it's here to stay. And 
I think what, where Brett's going as well is that um, Australia compared to the US and the UK has still got some way to go in terms of, I guess, the e-commerce cap in terms of how much people want to, you know, shop online versus shop in store. I still think there's going to be some recalibration around um, store footprints and Australia had, you know, has one of the largest, um, you know, per population uh, in terms of uh, retail uh, store um, square meterage. And I, I think there still will be an adjustment. I, I know there's been some negotiations with landlords, but, it, you know, the jury's out as to whether that's been um, firm enough in terms of recalibrating, um, you know, their their retail um, stores and, and what they need to attract people to either buy in store or, or buy online. But I think, you know, th there's going to be a, a pretty good Christmas generally for, for retailers. I think people are buying early. Um, you know, we saw people going crazy in, in Sydney at Kmart um, on Monday, um, you know, open 24 hours and people were, were queuing up to get in there. Um, so there will be a bit of a, a honeymoon period. I think as we go into the new year, that that's where we see kind of probably that readjustment back. Um, and I think it has brought forward um, some of the spending. But people have, you know, spend, have spent money differently during the pandemic. And I think a lot of that's been centred on the home. Obviously, people are working from home and, you know, seeing um, their sofa and they need a new sofa, a new office um, set up, etc. Um, and have bought, you know, some bulky goods again. It's, it's probably brought forward some of that spending. I think, you know, the biggest challenge um, for retail is going to be around, um, you know, freight, um, you know, with costs there have, have, you know, gone up astronomically um, over this period. And, um, you know, we've seen Australia Post come out as well this week in terms of real concerns around meeting um, deliveries. Um, you know, they've got their own challenges. And as we open up, there's going to be more COVID cases and how they manage that. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to juggle. And I still think there will be a hangover in terms of inventory that retailers will need to deal with. So, you know, I think there's a, in summary, I think there's an initial kind of boost, um, but some of that will, you know, the hangover may may come through early next year. Yeah, people are talking about revenge spending, of course, uh, and I haven't been revenge spending myself, although maybe this week I'll see what I can do. Uh, I know that I buy lots of gimmicks my, uh, off eBay. I don't know if that counts. I bought this wonderful thing that you, it's a, round, it's a green screen that you attach to the back of your chair, but that's the sort of stuff I end up in the mail. My wife wants to stab me. But um, we were going to get a clip of the chairman of AFTA making a comment. Uh, what is the phone ring most for? At the moment, it's 99% about finance basically uh how do we restructure our business how do we can we get help for insolvency you know is that we, right Re really yeah there's a majority of it now i mean you know and it's it's people preparing themselves because of the uncertainty which julie touched on that was the chairman of um of of after i don't know if you caught that episode talking about his uh, he obviously gets a lot of phone calls from his after members mainly concerned about insolvency do you think there'll be a lot of re revenge spending gale on on travel Oh, I, I think so. I mean, you know, in the paper again today, there's, you know, the commentary around, you know, the, the great resignation um, wave that we're expecting to see where people, um, and particularly I think some of our younger people and, you know, um, KPG has a lot of uh, graduates and, you know, they haven't been able to go overseas or um, travel for the last couple of years. So, you know, I think that there will be a spike. I mean, I think regional tourism in Australia, people still will be quite concerned um, to get on on planes overseas, I think there'll be costs, you know, associated with that, and um, you know, it's still a bit unknown as to you know whether you're going to have to get to the airport eight hours before you fly internationally, oh, yeah. for example. But 
you know, I think, you know, from a, a tourism, from a hospitality perspective, um, some of those regional towns will, you know, uh, benefit incredibly from um, reopening. Uh, we expect to see that boost. Their biggest challenge will actually be staffing, you know, the, the sites. Um, you know, there's not the, the students, there's not the, you know, British backpackers coming over that um, usually fulfil these jobs. So, you know, there's challenges by... Um, by that as well. Um, I know, for example, I think over Byron Bay at the moment, you cannot get for love of money uh, accommodation there until sometime in February. Um, you know, it's fully fully booked out. So, um, well, you don't want to go to Byron Bay, Gail. Uh, there's a, there, I, I... Now, what? Uh, it's interesting you said that. Let's let's go to slide number three. Now, calls to get immigration going again louder. Now, we heard Dominic Perrottet this week saying that you know, we need another two million people. I don't know if that was New South Wales or the whole country. And then we had the chief of John Holland also talking about uh, a talent war. A lot of people, it's, just, it's not just, it's not just you know, the infrastructure or, I guess, KPMG. A lot of even uh, cafes and restaurants are saying they can't get hold of people. You do have to wonder what constraints Labor are going to have on growth. Um, and then the other thing is in and gear. They can't get they can't get people. This is on a this is for mining services. They can't get people, and they can't get gear either. I mean, uh, you you can't get uh, a, you know a piece of yellow kit used for, for love nor money. Um, so I guess maybe that makes organic growth a little bit di uh, difficult, and maybe that's one of the things that are feeding into the M and A boom. So Ryan, you know there is an M and A boom, and we've talked about it here on Lunch Money before, and we've talked about a bit of a boom in IPOs as well. Um, there's a strong supply of capital. God knows there's a lot of capital out there. Uh, it, this must be impacting the, the distance of default scores. And how long do you think this is going to last? And, and what's the state of play there generally? Yeah, and, and I'll just comment on the uh, the, the um, access to employees as well, given you touched on that point. Um, I think your listeners are all aware that in, in any turnaround situation, having the right employees and the right management to drive that is critical. So, um, you know, we can see that just becoming a bigger and bigger issue um, for businesses, even businesses that are growing. You know, you may have an extremely strong financial position, but if you don't have the people to to, to fulfil your growth, we're seeing that already in some pockets of hospitality, that's you know, that, 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 that could create... Um, stress even in healthy balance sheet positions um in terms of the weight of capital look yeah you know, i don't think anyone sees it slowing down in a hurry um you know what we see from our analysis is and and, and a key point on that is the the the, the sector that's this has the third lowest scores is is info technology we're seeing a lot of innovation and investment of capital into new technology companies um, and, and high growth companies. Um, you know, what we see is that some of those, not all of those will succeed. Um, alternatively, if they succeed, they may not be um, first to, to market in their space and, and you know, they may not, may not hit their targets. So you know, we do see uh, capital being selective in relation to things like technology. Um, obviously, um, the technology companies and other capital providers are looking for um, environmentally friendly and impact type investing. So um, we, we're seeing a few different trends through through the analysis that we're undertaking. Yeah, interesting. Um, 
I mean, these days you, you put the word tech on the end of stuff and it makes it pretty sexy. I mean, obviously we've had fintech. Uh, we've now got a, well, probably for a while, we've got a thing called edtech. Um, and and I, and I suppose, as you say, there'll, there'll be winners and losers there. Uh, you know, we've, yeah, and you've got the, the crypto DeFi and... and oh, and God. Yeah, don't don't talk to me. Hole. I mean, crypto, crypto is another thing I tend to get into arguments about. Okay, and, and, and the thing is, too, with all of this stimulus... Uh, you know, interest rates are going to stay very low. So there's just going to be more and more money pouring into M&A and IPOs and uh, and all those sorts of things until something changes there. I, I'm not sure what it's going to be. Um, so, I mean, so I guess I'll go back to you, Gail. Why aren't we seeing greater levels of distress? I mean, everyone... Everyone in the turnaround management community—I didn't say before that you are obviously on the board of the of the turnaround management association. I mean, everyone in the TMA and, and all the you know the uh, insolvency associations and corporate restructuring types, be they lawyers, or accountants, or, or financiers—they're uh, wondering why aren't we seeing greater levels of distress, and what is going to be the trigger that makes it happen? Do we have to wait until the next election? Uh, is there other, some other black swan event? What do you think? Mm, yeah, like I think it's a question we, we all ask. And, if, you know, when the pandemic started and, you know, the headlines and comments saying, you know, they're going to be enough practitioners to handle, you know, the, the wave of distress. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's pivoted the other way um, in terms of, you know, very much supporting front end transactions. And, um, you know, I think it's fair to say with Ryan and I and, and the team have seen deals that, you know, in a in a other environment may have gone through some kind of formal restructuring process, but there's been either offshore capital or there's been some way to avoid that, which is a, is a positive. But it also just raises questions that, you know, I think there's some uh, fairly frothy kind of multiples and deals out there. So, you know, I think the pipeline um, may be um, building, but I don't think that's anytime soon. I don't think it's going to be a wave of insolvency. Um, I think there will be some pressure coming you know as we start to open up particularly you know for hospitality and some of those um cafes and restaurants you know particularly in cbd or other locations that will really struggle to open up and there's only so long that they can go and you know as we start to see some of that um you know the, the federal and the state support roll off you know that that will drive some of it um you know the ato i guess we're waiting to see when um, they will start to collect their, you know, I'm sure the number is now, um, I think last count, it was about $80 billion in terms of um, money that they will need to collect. Again, that will be a driver. But I think 80 billion? Something Did like that. Say, yeah, I mean, last year it was 30-something billion. I'm yeah. waiting for them to publish their annual report. So you, maybe you've got some inside information. But... Uh, you know, I, I would. I thought that it would uh, it would it would possibly double. Well, let me ask you, Ryan. I, I was listening to um, a wonderful show on Twitter Spaces last night. It's on every five five o'clock every week, every Thursday night. And it's a bunch of fund managers, and there's a journo there, Paul Colgan. I don't know. It's called the Bip Show on uh, on Thursday nights. Anyway, they had a guy who was from a fund, and he's a, he's a short he's a short guy. He's a, he's into the shorts, and he was talking about shorting. Uh, somewhere in the world, it wasn't in Australia, but somewhere in the world shorting a listed distressed debt uh, dealer. And he basically said that he, in his view, you know, governments just weren't going to let companies fail anymore. Um, so, you know, yeah. with that in mind, what's what's your take on that same question about why we're not seeing a greater level of distress? And would you short a distressed debt fund? It sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> but I'd like to see it play out. Um you know, I, I think what 
the, the only thing that really will drive change is if public sentiment changes. So um, the politicians are obviously driven by the polls. Um, and if the public say, well, you know, start to go some stage during the course of next year, you know, this ATO debt is astronomical, the spending is is too high. Um, you know, we want our, our government to, to start turning the economy or starting to think about these debt levels. Um, uh, that's the only way that will start to change. Um, you know, these, these media reports that come out uh, have been coming out over the last several years about the astronomical growth in the ATO debt levels. Um, it doesn't create any negative publicity. Um, um, but you have no. to think Well, it's really, it's a hidden stimulus, isn't it? I mean, you know, they, they've spent, yeah. you know, $40 billion on whatever. But if the ATO, collect, you know, collectible debt has gone from $30 billion to $80 billion, well, that's another fifty billion in stimulus, really. If you are, if you are, if you ask yep. me. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, we're. A, I'm going to ask you both just for your final thoughts. I will say, anybody live who wants to pop a question, we've got plenty of viewers. Uh, don't be shy. You just go into the chat there and ask away. Often, what happens is we get the questions after we sign off. So try and get. Uh, them I'll go to you first, Gail. Any sort of closing thoughts? Oh, uh, look. I think. Um... Uh, excited around kind of opening up I think um, you know that's going to create some uh, goodwill good energy in terms of um, you know certainly New South Wales hopefully the other states will follow um, certainly looking forward to some international um, travel at some point as well um, I think you know where we will see activity and for the kind of restructuring turnaround professionals on, on the call you know it will be more from supporting kind of front-end transactions um, versus you know a wave of insolvency I don't see that that changing um, certainly in the next kind of six to 12 months um, and uh, we will you know this I should say today was an exclusive in terms of the D2D results um, they haven't been published yet um, and we will share that report shortly. That is awesome. Well, we're very, very grateful for that. That is for sure. It's, a, it's a very, very grateful. It's a, it's a real privilege. Uh, Ryan, what about yourself? Some closing thoughts. Yeah, some closing thoughts is we'll keep, to run, keep running the data. Um, you know, we do run data in other countries around the globe as well, which is always interesting to see um, the trends that you're seeing from, from Europe and, and the US. Um, I, I don't think we'll see large levels of distress in particular sectors, but I think we'll see um, parts of different sectors coming under stress. Um, we, we've touched on some of those, um, but it's, you know, it's gonna continue to be interesting times. All right, well, fantastic. All right, well, thank you very much to Ryan Eagle and Gail Dickerson. It sounds like with that last little um, reminder that this was an exclusive, it's going to be my buy for lunch when we can finally get around. Uh, well, we can. We'll have to We'll have to line that up now. I can't I talk will be cheap otherwise. Thank you very much uh, to our live viewers. Uh, and thank you very much to uh, those of you who listen to us on the podcast. Just a reminder, um, if you've enjoyed the show, please uh, share, like, or subscribe. You can do that on uh, YouTube, uh, what do we have? YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, of course. Um, and we look very much forward to uh, speaking to you again. Thanks a lot. Cheers.